Due to the sensitive nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of death that may be upsetting for some listeners. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. September 11, 2001, 9.24 a.m. In the cockpit of United Airlines Flight 93, Captain Jason Dahl received a puzzling message from dispatch. Beware any cockpit intrusion. Two aircraft hit World Trade Center. Confused, Captain Dahl responded, asking for confirmation that the message was correct. He never got an answer. Just a few minutes later, four terrorists burst into the cockpit and wrestled control of the plane. The 40 passengers and crew were forced to the rear of the aircraft. Over the next half hour, the hostages made last-minute phone calls to their family and friends. From the calls, they learned that less than an hour before, two hijacked airliners had crashed into the World Trade Center. This wasn't just a hijacking. The terrorists had no ransom demands. This was a suicide mission. So, at 9.57 a.m., the passengers decided to take matters into their own hands. Over the next five minutes, the passengers revolted against the hijackers and tried to retake the plane. The cockpit voice log recorded the desperate fight for control, frantic shouting, and breaking glass. Finally, at 10.02 a.m., United 93 plunged into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, about 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. Everyone aboard was killed. The plane was just 18 minutes away from its presumed target in Washington, D.C. The flight path indicated they were likely aiming for the Capitol building or the White House. Their final efforts meant the passengers aboard had managed to keep Flight 93 from reaching its target. But there was still one more plane in the air, and it was heading for the Pentagon. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is the second episode of our six-part special on the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. On this fateful day, four American jetliners were hijacked and used to attack New York's World Trade Center and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. The attacks left a slew of questions many of which were never answered. In this episode, we'll finish our moment-by-moment look at the events of September 11th. We'll also discuss the questions and rumors that spread in the horrific aftermath. In the coming episodes, we'll explore the lingering theories and political fallout from the attacks. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. On the morning of September 11th, four aircraft were hijacked within the span of an hour and 15 minutes. After the two crashes in New York, there was no doubt that an attack was underway. But events happened so fast that nobody knew the full scale of it. By the time the warnings of the hijacking spread, the planes had already crashed. Except in the case of American Airlines Flight 77. At 8.54 a.m., less than 10 minutes after the first impact at the World Trade Center, Flight 77 was hijacked after departing Washington Dulles. A few minutes later, it turned back towards D.C. 40 minutes later, while the Twin Towers burned, air traffic controllers at Washington's Reagan Airport called the Secret Service. They were tracking Flight 77 as it approached the White House. But as the controllers watched their radar screens, the plane deviated from its path. It made a wide turn and instead aimed for the Pentagon. As the headquarters for the U.S. Armed Forces, the Pentagon holds thousands of military and civilian workers on any given day. As the name suggests, the complex has five sides, with five concentric rings of office buildings centered around a courtyard in the middle like a giant pentagonal dartboard. When it was built in the 1940s, the complex was designed to withstand natural disasters and bomb attacks. Unfortunately, 
It was rarely updated in the ensuing decades. Many sections of the building were still original and crumbling. In 1994, Congress authorized a complete overhaul of the Pentagon, but progress was slow on the renovation. By 2001, the project was expected to take another decade at least. But some key improvements were already in place. For example, new blast-proof windows were installed in the first week of September 2001. However, none of these improvements were meant to withstand a direct impact from something coming at the speed of a fully loaded passenger jet. At 9.37 a.m. on September 11th, American Flight 77 roared towards the Pentagon at less than 150 feet off the ground. In the final two seconds, the aircraft was so low that it clipped light poles and construction equipment. Then, it slammed into the western side of the Pentagon. Due to the extremely low height of the impact, the plane plunged deep into the building, disintegrating as it went further into the complex. The inertia blasted debris through three interior rings of offices. Most of the debris and damage occurred inside the complex. In fact, many of the new blast-proof windows served their purpose and stayed intact. From the outside, the most visible sign of the horrific damage was thick black smoke coming from the flames inside. There was no obvious plane-shaped hole in the Pentagon side, just a black gash filled with smoke and flames. This led some people to speculate that Flight 77 was actually a missile. This confusion only added to the chaos of the morning. Nearly every news network in the world was covering the attacks. Nobody knew if more planes, missiles, or bombs were on their way. But it was clear that New York wasn't the only target. The nation itself was under attack. Back in New York, a giant plume of smoke covered Lower Manhattan. Entire floors of both Twin Towers glowed orange from the inferno inside. And each minute that ticked by made them more likely to collapse. The external walls held up most of the weight of the towers, since the vertical supports were clustered at the core. And now there were gaping holes in those load-bearing walls. In the South Tower, a huge five-story gash stretched across three sides of the building. Nearly half of the tower's support structure was critically damaged. To make matters worse, the jet fuel inferno reached temperatures over 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which was hot enough to weaken the steel and melt the aluminum. By 9.50 a.m., Molten metal was pouring out of the hole on the 80th floor, just below the impact site. Above that, the entire 83rd floor sagged onto the floor below, and it was gradually sinking lower. Just five minutes later, a rush of 911 calls poured in from the highest floors, reporting that the ceilings and floors were collapsing. On the eastern side of the building, the steel beams that were still intact bent inward, as the weight of the tower shifted, and finally, they snapped. At 9.59 a.m., shards of aluminum and steel exploded out from the south tower. A low rumble burst from the fiery hole at the impact site. Then, the tower collapsed. A plume of dust and debris covered lower Manhattan, 
covering everything and everyone in a fine gray powder. When the dust cleared, the South Tower was gone. Coming up, the tragic final minutes at the World Trade Center. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hakeman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath, from murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life, at least not the ones you're thinking of, but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now back to the story. After the collapse of the South Tower, there was silence. Many emergency workers described the quiet moments in the dust cloud. Then they picked themselves up and realized they were still alive. Then they heard the chirps. The first sounds to emerge from the rubble were personal alert system or pass alarms. These devices were worn by firefighters on their air tanks and gear belts. When a firefighter didn't move for 30 seconds, the pass device erupted with a 95 decibel chirp. Now, there were dozens of chirps echoing from beneath the pile of rubble, and each one signified a firefighter who was no longer moving. In the evacuation passageway beneath the Trade Center Plaza, Fire Chief Joe Pfeiffer and filmmaker Jules Noday were still alive. They didn't know the South Tower had fallen. In fact, they thought the blast was another plane crash. All they knew was that the North Tower lobby was pitch black. The cloud of concrete dust and debris made it hard to breathe or see, so Jules used the light on his camera as a beacon in the dark. 
he managed to locate Chief Pfeiffer just as he gave the order for all firefighters to evacuate the North Tower. But Jules and Pfeiffer were beneath layers of crushed steel. The message barely reached the radios within a few feet of the chief, much less any firefighter a thousand feet up in the tower. Without functioning radios, the rescuers were blind and deaf as they wandered in the dust, which left them helpless if the other tower fell too. On the street, all semblance of organized response disappeared. The static from emergency radios cut through the gloomy dust cloud, but nobody was answering because nobody knew what to do. There was nothing anyone could do. There was no way to fight the fire in the North Tower or reach anyone trapped above it. The only thing left to do was get as far away as possible. Two minutes after the South Tower fell, the NYPD issued an evacuation order for the North Tower. But as we discussed in our first episode, the firefighter radios couldn't receive police transmissions. Many of the firefighters in the North Tower still didn't even know that the other tower had collapsed. Since Chief Pfeiffer's order and the police order didn't get through, the only way to warn the firefighters to evacuate was by word of mouth. And even then, not everyone heeded the warning. Up on the 51st floor, Three police officers heard the evacuation order and rushed downstairs. When they reached the 19th floor, they couldn't believe their eyes. There were nearly a hundred firefighters just sitting there. Many had stripped off their coats and gear. They were exhausted from climbing 20 stories with over 65 pounds of equipment. It didn't make sense to the cops because nearly all of the estimated 6,000 civilians below the impact zone had already evacuated. If the fire department already knew they couldn't extinguish the fires or reach the people trapped above, why were they still in the building? The cops yelled out that they had to evacuate, but many of the firefighters didn't move. One even said, quote, we'll come down in a few minutes. Down on the street, Chief Pfeiffer and filmmaker Jules Noday emerged from the passageway under the plaza. They were standing directly beneath the tower, along with dozens of other rescue personnel. They couldn't see that the upper floors were glowing red, and the top of the north tower was leaning. All they heard was a loud, cracking roar. At 10.28 a.m., The entire top third of the North Tower collapsed inward. Floor by floor, the tower fell in on itself like an accordion. A hundred stories below in a stairwell near the fourth floor, Fire Captain Jay Jonas heard a strange banging sound, like a bowling ball falling downstairs. Fifty-five million cubic feet of air rushed down the stairwell like a hurricane-force gale. Then... Everything went black. 102 minutes after the first impact, both towers of the World Trade Center were gone. Hundreds perished in the South Tower collapse. In the North Tower, over a thousand more were killed, including over a hundred firefighters on the 19th floor. On the surrounding streets, the survivors staggered out of the dust and debris including Jules and Chief Pfeiffer. 
Many of the nearest rescuers went back into the site immediately to help those still trapped in the rubble. But the debris pile was extremely unstable. Smaller collapses of steel and concrete echoed deep underground. There was a serious risk of further collapses under the weight of the rescuers and vehicles. Still, firefighters, police, and volunteers carefully moved into the edges of the debris pile, looking for survivors. They listened for pass alarms, cries for help, and banging from trapped victims. Within hours, over a dozen survivors were pulled from the rubble alive, many of them from the same section of a North Tower stairwell. Among them was Captain Jay Jonas, who'd heard the collapse coming from above like a bowling ball. Jonas described where he'd been in the two-story section of the stairwell as a concrete cocoon, where the difference between life and death was just a few feet. He said, quote, If you were lower than that, the debris settled there and you didn't make it. If you were above that, you were part of the collapse and you didn't make it. You had to be where we were. In addition to the towers themselves, most of the surrounding buildings were damaged and on fire. When the South Tower fell, the top half landed on the nearby Marriott Hotel, slicing through the building like a soda can under a bicycle tire. The North Tower collapse gouged out nearly a quarter of Trade Center Building 7's interior structure. Luckily, Building 7 had been evacuated early in the attack. Since nobody was inside, the surviving fire crews decided to let the building burn. The flames eventually chewed through most of the heavily damaged structure. At 5.20 p.m., Building 7 collapsed alongside the rubble of the Twin Towers, forcing a temporary evacuation of the rescuers combing through the debris. As night fell, the continuing crisis wasn't only in New York. In Washington, D.C., the Pentagon was still burning. Flight 77 struck the Pentagon ground level, leaving several stories of the building intact above the impact site. But the inferno sparked by the jet fuel spread quickly. Instead of moving up, like in the towers, the fire spread outward from the impact site. It also ignited the wooden roof supports. Yet with the building crumbling around the inferno, firefighters couldn't even reach the roof. They could only spray water from the ground or from ladders. The roof fire burned for 36 hours, creeping farther and deeper into the building. Eventually, firefighters managed to contain it, but not before more of the building collapsed. Finally, around 6 p.m. on September 12th, the Pentagon fire was under control. The attacks were over, and the entire country was asking a single question. How did this happen? Coming up, the aftermath of the attacks reveals new suspicions. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than 88 million in prizes, ranging from 50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? 
Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. Now, back to the story. As the sun rose in New York on September 12, 2001, the rubble at the World Trade Center was still burning. The smell of charred steel, paper, and flesh wafted over the entire harbor and into New Jersey. Meanwhile, the rest of Lower Manhattan was quiet. The subways were still mostly diverted from the island, and bridges and tunnels remained closed. Overnight, thousands of displaced workers had to walk home to the surrounding boroughs. Local hospitals were overwhelmed with victims suffering from burns and smoke or dust inhalation. These cases continued to pour in as the dust and smoke lingered over the site for days. The site of the Twin Towers collapse was now referred to as Ground Zero. By the morning of the 12th, hundreds of rescuers were at the rubble pile, helping to clear debris and search for survivors. However, many places in the rubble were too dangerous to approach. Some of the steel beams were so hot they melted rescuers' boots. Rescuers pulled back several times due to collapses and fires, but they were determined to find anyone left alive. The last survivor was pulled out 27 hours after the North Tower fell. All told, only 20 people were found alive in the rubble. From the South Tower, only four people above the impact zone made it out alive, including Stanley Pramnath and Brian Clark. Nobody above the impact site in the North Tower survived. As the days and weeks wore on, the slow and difficult search for bodies continued. Fires burned deep beneath the rubble for another five weeks. Some pockets were as hot as 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And even once the fires were out, the cleanup process took months. After clearing nearly two million tons of debris, the last steel column was removed from the Ground Zero site on May 30th, 2002. In total, the Trade Center attacks caused $60 billion in damage, but the greatest cost was in human lives. 2,749 people died at the Trade Center on September 11th, including 343 firefighters, 71 law enforcement officers, and citizens from nearly 80 countries. To this day, only 60% of the victims have been positively identified. 20 years later, the New York Medical Examiner's Office still has 22,000 human remains waiting for DNA testing. At the Pentagon, 189 people died, including the passengers and crew of Flight 77. The majority of the victims were U.S. Army personnel, and nearly half were civilian contractors. Another 40 civilians died on United 93, which crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. Excluding the 19 hijackers, every death on September 11th was ruled a homicide, including the approximately 200 people who leapt from the Twin Towers before they collapsed. The devastation and death was unfathomable. 
But despite witnessing the attacks on television, in the following days, millions of Americans still didn't have a clear picture of what had happened or who was responsible. Even the first responders who saw everything unfold before their eyes had lingering questions. Some of the firefighters who watched the towers collapse said it looked exactly like a planned demolition. Others believed that someone planted a bomb on the higher floors. To address these questions, multiple investigations were opened to uncover every detail of the attacks. The first was the 9-11 Commission, led by a conglomeration of politicians, scientists, and intelligence officials. The second was by the National Institute for Standards and Technology, or NIST. Their goal was a moment-by-moment -moment breakdown of the physics behind the attacks, including impact forces, fire temperatures, and architectural flaws. Both teams uncovered an incredible trove of information that we'll explore in the coming episodes. And both investigations reached a similar, though no less heartbreaking conclusion. Emergency services were ill-equipped to deal with the disaster on the scale of September 11th. In many ways, it's hard to fault them. The destruction to the Twin Towers was so complete, there's simply no way that any rescue effort could have saved every victim once the planes hit. But both reports did reveal something alarming. That the September 11th attacks and the scope of their devastation could have been prevented. The NIST investigation discovered disturbing secrets about the Twin Towers' construction. The towers were designed to absorb an airliner impact, but nobody knew if they could withstand a significant fire after the strike. The fireproofing insulation was known to be ineffective. Even the original architects and engineers had refused to sign off on the tower's fire safety measures. Not only that, the communications gap between police and fire departments had already been a long-standing concern. Yet proposed solutions, like new radios, had been ignored by officials for years. Had the departments implemented new radios or emergency procedures ahead of time, hundreds of rescuers might have been saved. The darkest implications, though, came from the 9-11 Commission report. The Commission concluded that intelligence and government agencies had known about the coming attacks for months. And most alarming of all, they knew exactly who was responsible. The moment United 175 struck the South Tower on live TV, it became clear that the United States was under attack. Within minutes, news outlets and people on the street were already speculating about who was responsible. One name seemed to be repeated more often than any other, Osama bin Laden. That morning was the first time many Americans heard his name, while others had known for years that bin Laden wanted to attack the U.S. After all, three years earlier, he had openly declared war on Americans across the globe. In a 1998 letter to a London newspaper, bin Laden claimed that it was the, quote, individual duty for every Muslim to kill Americans. Most Muslims didn't listen. Bin Laden wasn't even a religious scholar or credible political figure. But everyday followers weren't the audience he needed to appeal to. His plans relied on a small network of fanatical extremists called Al-Qaeda. 
The same year bin Laden issued his call to action in the newspaper, Al-Qaeda bombed several U.S. embassies in Africa. The terrorist group was also behind the attack on the American Navy ship, the USS Cole, in October of 2000. There were warnings from intelligence officials earlier in 2001 that another Al-Qaeda attack was imminent. This included a specific memo to President George W. Bush just five weeks before the 9-11 attacks. This news left many Americans reeling. If the U.S. government was supposedly on high alert in September of 2001, how did an attack of this magnitude still happen? The answers took years to uncover. And the truth lies buried within a dark web of connections that lead back to some of America's most powerful politicians. Next time, we'll begin to unravel it. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with the next part of our special. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Andrew Messer, with writing assistance by Mackenzie Moore and Kate Gallagher. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Mm-hmm.